We're going to continue our study in 2 Peter. I appreciated uh, the Lord putting that on, on Eric's heart to, to you know, call for a night of prayer. And I know we didn't have a lot of people, but still, I'm thankful that that was something that our church did. I'm thankful that that's something. I know you were praying where you were, but I'm thankful for that as well. And uh, it's kind of like people that complain, you know, they complain about who's elected, but they never go vote. But we can't complain about anything if we're not going to pray and call upon the Lord either. Amen. And so we're calling upon God and, and trusting Him. He's, he's so good to us. But I want you to op- open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Last week we covered uh, verses 4 through 7. And I want to read 5 through 7 and then keep going down through verse 11 just because it all kind of goes together. And we should be able to cover this this passage tonight through verse 11. But starting in verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And so we talked about Paul uh, and Peter, I'm sorry, and, and the Word of God telling us there's an addition. There's, a, there's an adding to this. There's the faith, the saving faith of God, and then the, the faith that we live by, which the just shall live by faith. And we're to add to that faith. And there's these virtues that are mentioned here, our graces, if you want to call them that. And they're all important and they culminate in love or charity because the Bible says faith works by love in Galatians chapter 5. So it says, besides this, giving all diligence that shows an effort on our part, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity or love. Now here, here's where we're going to move on to. We, we kind of went over those words and what they mean, the virtue and the brotherly kindness and so forth, and the temperance. And here we're going to, we're going to talk about, so we covered that last week, but it says in verse 8, for if these things, plural, it's not just one thing, it's not just love, it's all of these things together culminating or finishing in love. It's like crowning it all off, but all of these things, if these things be in you. So go back and look over it. If you were here, if weren't here last week, and even if you were, to, to read what are these things that are, should, be, should be added to my faith. True saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A living faith. And everything we're talking about, y'all, in 2 Peter, and in, uh, been preaching a lot lately on Sunday mornings, is talking about that going on in the Lord. That's exactly what Peter's saying here. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit through Peter is saying here. He says, if these things be in you and abound. Okay? That means they're in you and not some in, in some puny little measure. But they're in you and they abound. All these things that were mentioned in the previous verses. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's hard to imagine, but it is possible, obviously, that a person could have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, a true saving knowledge of Jesus. And that's who Peter's talking to. He's talking to saved people. He's talking to born again people that you could have this true saving knowledge of God that's the real knowledge that you have to have in order to be saved and not, and not abound in it. And you could do that and be unfruitful or barren in the midst of that. You understand what I'm saying? It's possible to do that. And so uh, it says, if these things be in you, if these things are found in the believer and, and a real interpretation of that barren and unfruitful is, is uh, it means idle. OK, 
It means idle or uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've got it here. It means that it's for, barren could be unemployed, useless, lazy, okay, inactive. Now, you can be born again in some part in your point in your life live that way, right? Spiritually speaking. Might be very busy in the world as a Christian, but in your walk with God, it is very possible to truly be saved and at some point in your life, pray it's not a, a majority of your life or your Christian life, but it means to be unemployed, useless, lazy, inactive, okay? And so are, are idle. And just, you know, just putting your car in neutral and, and all the cars are going by you, the lights turn green, and they're rolling on by, and you're just sitting there in neutral or in park. The engine's still running, okay? No car trouble. It's just you're not moving. You're not moving forward. And, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 that there's, been, there's a race that the Lord has set before us, right? We see this. We see it. I don't care what uh, book of the Bible you, Bible you look in. I don't care if you're looking at Old Testament or New Testament. Uh, you're going to find that there's a progression. There's a moving. You don't just get saved and stay put and say, see you later, Lord, when I get to heaven. And He's moving on and doing things and working wonders and working in people's lives. And we're just sitting back here. And whenever He calls me home 50 years from now or five minutes from now, whenever it is, then I'll go be with Him. It's never the picture that's given. Abraham moved from place to place, not knowing where he was going. He just kept his eyes on the Lord. The Bible says that there's a, we are to run with patience. That's because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Run with patience the race that is set <clears throat> before us. How do we do it? We do it by looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And everything is contained in that. The author of our faith, faith who brought us to faith in, in Christ to start with, and the finisher of our faith, and when we see Him, we'll be like Him, and all points in between. But we're moving, okay? We're moving as a church body, and we're moving individually, and we're moving on God's uh, timeline, basically, as we're getting closer to the rapture and all the things that are coming. But we don't want to be lazy or inactive in our walk with God. I don't know anybody that wants to be uh, idle, you know, on a vacation, you might just want to relax and not do anything. But even there, you're going to pray and call upon the Lord and, and walk with Him. Amen. And so, uh, we don't want to be unfruitful or barren. And, and one who is uh, inactive is a word that really represents that. One who does not manifest these fruits or these graces that were mentioned in the previous three verses. Uh, it says that he's going to be blind spiritually blind in verse 9 so let's look at that for just a moment it says but he that lacks these things is blind and cannot cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his sins and wouldn't that be a terrible a terrible way to be there's different degrees of blindness you know you could be legally blind and you can still see a little bit and sometimes we think of blind like I remember we were uh, a few, few, several summers ago, we went out to uh, San Francisco on a, on a vacation and we went to Alcatraz. We went to tour it and it was pretty neat. And we took the little boat out there and they said, who wants to, uh, they're showing us these lockdown cells. They said, who wants to get in one of these and see, because this is where the guys that were like in real trouble or tried to escape or whatever, 
would be put in these little cells. And me and William and Peter jumped in there and they closed the door on us and there was no lights and no nothing. And you literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face. We're like, let us out. You know, uh, we don't like it in here. They opened the door. All right, so that's totally blind. Okay, but there's different degrees of blindness. But here it says, um, it's almost like somebody that's myopic, okay? They're short-sighted, right? And, it, and so they can see a little bit. They can see the world around them and, and probably are drawn to that. But they can't see behind them to see where God brought them from and the sins that they were purged from. And they can't see where the Lord's taken them. These are spiritual things. This is like, you know, the Bible says where no vision is that people perish. Uh, this is like where it says uh, in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians that I had not seen, neither ear heard, neither has entered to the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him, but the Spirit has revealed them to them. So this Holy Spirit does show us. We get glimpses of heaven. We get glimpses of Christ, not physically, but we get glimpses in our heart that the Lord makes it real. And, and we're thankful for that, Right? So he's moving us on. And there's a spiritual vision there. There's a a spiritual sight where we see it. And uh, in in this walk with the Lord, y'all, we are either going to, or one is either going to uh, advance or decline. I know you've heard that before, right? You're either going to move forward in Jesus and make advancements, which is what he wants for all of us. You know, you, you watch the little children already in our church that... We have uh, such good examples of we can remember when one couldn't walk and now they can walk now, even in our church. Okay, and so there's to be that advancement and one is either in Christ going to make advancement. I'm talking about believers now. I'm not talking about a lost person advance in the Lord or decline. Nobody just stays the same. We don't. I know you've heard it before. It's like climbing up a mountaintop. You know, climbing up a, a pretty good incline, you're going to be moving forward, maybe slowly, maybe taking a little ground at a time, but you're going to be pressing forward or you're going to start sliding back. You're not just going to stay halfway up a mountain and just stay there. Your legs are going to get tired. You're going to give out and you're going to go backwards or you're going to keep pressing on. And, uh, and so there's this perseverance and failure to persevere is going to, uh, in, in this development of say Christian character all right failure to persevere in that is uh, is going to bring us in danger of retreating or falling backwards and we don't want to do that it's not honoring to the Lord it's not at all what he has for us and so um, it leads to barrenness it leads to unfruitfulness and and being idle and then forgetfulness or short-sightedness and the Lord has a lot of uh, wonderful things for us. And so the Lord gives us His Word and the Holy Spirit to help us keep moving on. I mean, I, we could talk or you could listen to another preacher or I could listen to another preacher's sermon all day long. But in the midst of that, it has to be God's Word and it has to be the Holy Spirit pricking our hearts and our minds and showing us yay and amen. You know, when you hear the truth preached, it's a wonderful thing, especially if you've been... Uh, away from the truth and all of a sudden you're here this the simple simple things of the gospel it's exciting it's like it's like a fresh clean water that's poured upon your soul and you're like soak it up like a sponge it's a blessing 
And so the Lord uses those things to bring us on. So it is possible to have considerable spiritual knowledge of the Lord and yet be unfruitful or barren. We don't want to be that, okay? And here what I, here's what I believe. I think failure to practice what we know will lead to that unfruitfulness. I'll say that again. Failure to practice. Now this is all spiritual wisdom and knowledge. Failure to practice what we know spiritually is going to lead to that, inevitably, to that barrenness and unfruitfulness. And um, it, it's said that, that, you know, there's these rivers that it pour into the Dead Sea, but there's no, it doesn't flow back out of the Dead Sea. And that, that's, that's the reason it's the Dead Sea. And there's not a lot of life in it. It comes in, but it never flows back out the other end. Some tributary or spillway or something that comes back out of it. And so there's not this flow of fresh water. It comes in and it dies there, basically. Okay? And the same could be said for our lives spiritually. That uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill the, the growth. It's going to kill the productivity, if you want to call it that, of our lives. And uh, we have to practice, y'all. We become very completely 100% responsible for the spiritual knowledge that God gives us. He gives it to us very kindly and graciously, and He's patient with us, and He teaches us. We say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand. And maybe for six months, He's trying to teach us one thing or something that we're, we're struggling with. But he, still, when the revelation comes and we, we have a deeper... Uh, understanding of the Lord in some way. We become responsible to practice that, to live that. You know, we're singing, teach me to live your love. It's almost a, a strange kind of saying, I mean, phrase. Do you live his love? Well, that's, that's the question, you know. Is the Lord living through, the, through us? Teach us. Do it through me. Love through me. When he teaches us something, he expects us to be uh, active in that. If he showed you, if he woke you up in the middle of the night, or maybe you went on a retreat or something, and he showed you about your prayer life, and he shows you what he wants you to do, and you have this almost a breakthrough knowledge of, gosh, God really answers prayers. You've already known, always known that, but now like you really know it, and God showed you something deeper, he expects you to walk in a deeper prayer life and to call upon him. If I, I can remember very clearly early in my Christian walk when I really surrendered everything to the Lord and it coincided with the time that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that the, the Word of God came uh, alive to me is the only way I could put it. It came unbelievably alive to me. I read it before and I believed it before but I can't explain the difference between reading the Bible and believing it before the baptism of the Holy Spirit and reading the Bible and believing it after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To me, that was the most... I did speak in tongues and had a prayer language, but the most amazing thing that I noticed was, was that. For me, that was the biggest thing at that time that I noticed. And one of the things I noticed when I began to read about the early church winning souls and going out having a burden for souls... That's the first time I thought I ever thought, of course I knew this. If you'd have asked me, I would have said I know it. But where I really knew it, golly, I can tell my friends about Jesus and they could get saved. I mean, that sounds like a simple truth, but that was like the first time it hit me. Like a big beam of light. 
You know, you can win people to Jesus yourself. All, you know, you can do that. You'll need a preacher to do it or missionary. You can tell your friends at LSU and the ones you had from high school, you can tell them about the Lord and they could get saved. And you have a responsibility to do that. You know what I'm saying? That came became real to me. Well, it's not just the knowledge. It's the putting into practice the things that God tells us. And when we don't, then here's the danger. You become idle, unfruitful. Not only in you, but remember these things abound. These things are to abound in you. The brotherly kindness and the love and the temperance and so forth. And it says it will lead to... Uh, he is blind and can't see afar off in verse 9. If we're not growing in these things, then it says he that's not growing in these things, he that lacks these things, verse 9, is blind and cannot, what type of blindness specifically, and cannot see afar off. And as I said, he, he can see this world right around him, but he fails to see spiritually this world isn't our home. There's a bigger picture. They can see the elections from last night, how that's going to affect their lives maybe, but they're not walking in the reality of God, the spiritual things that are bigger. This is a blip on God's radar as far as time goes. We're living it, it's important, but we also need to be able to see very clearly afar off. We need, need to be able to look down the road. And uh, we get so occupied with maybe temporal things, and get so occupied. Have you ever done it? I have. Get occupied. I'm still a Christian. Still as much a Christian as I ever was. But I can get occupied with temporal things. The job or not the job. You know, what's happening with your children or what you want to happen with your children that's not. And, and you get stuck right there and all you can see is that. And that's short-sightedness. Yes, we see it. God knows it. He cares about it too. But that's all we can see. And we can't get beyond that. And that's not what the Lord wants us to be. We get preoccupied with temporal things and material things. And neither of them are going to last. And I want you to look at a couple of scriptures. We'll just turn here quickly. I know you know the story. But let's turn to it and read it. In Luke chapter 12. And we'll come back to 2 Peter. Luke 12.15 And He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. That's a spiritual truth, isn't it? Now you would say, Amen. All of us would agree. But there may be some point in your life where God had to really show you that. Like really show you that personally. Or maybe He's going to. Or maybe He's trying to right now. We need to learn it. A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. What a problem, right? He's got so much he doesn't have room to put it. So he's got a lot of stuff. A lot of valuable stuff. And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Let's just say to myself, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? In other words, he's going to get all this stuff. If you're going to die tonight, that's what he's saying. you got big barns full of 
big food that will last for years and years and, and bring all the income you need for the rest of your life, who's going to get it and benefit from it now? Because you're dying tonight. And he calls him a fool. So is, is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, I don't believe that this person, obviously, is in that parable. It is a parable. He was a fool. He didn't know the Lord. But I think that that characteristic or trait, if we don't watch it, could be in our lives to where we're short-sighted. We're short-sighted. And we're, we're, we're just seeing the here and now and the stuff that's right around us. And God wants us to, to look forward. And what happens is, He says, then this person is short-sighted and he forgets, has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And I thought about this before. It's not far from forgetting to forsaking. That's not a long path. To forget the Lord in some way, the reality of God. You'd never say, I've forgotten God. But in your life, in the nearness, in the closeness, in the and the, be in the love of your life and the first love, like the church of Ephesus left their first love. It's not far from forgetting to forsaking. That little bridge is just, just the next step. We begin to forget the Lord and then we begin to forsake the Lord. That was the pattern of Israel when God did some big miracle for them. They were playing their tambourines and singing to Him. Miriam's song on the other side of the Red Sea when, they, when it, was, it was parted. You know, and they're all excited about the Lord. They got their dances going on and there was nothing more prominent in their lives, in their minds, in their hearts than God at that time. Then they began to forget. And then they began to forsake the Lord. And that's their pattern. And we have them as an example, the Bible tells us, uh, for our own lives as well. So let's be careful. You know, they forget that they were purged from their sins and the temptation then or the, the slippery slope is not only that they've forgotten that they were purged from their old sins, they're going to start lapsing back into their old sins. Again, you don't stay in neutral. You don't stay in park. You don't reach a plateau in the Lord and say, I'm going to stay here for the next 25 years. If you think you, you're going to do that, or I think I'm going to do that, I'm mistaken. I have to keep taking new ground. That's the design of this spiritual life. That's the way God has planned it. And so we forget where he brought us from and we begin to slide back into it. That's why the, the term backsliding, okay? We begin to slide back into those things. And God doesn't want us to do that, obviously. And we don't want to do that as well. And so we urge that these, these fruits or these graces be manifest in our lives, okay? You want it to be manifest. You don't want to just hold it to your doctrinal statement, statement and say, Love is patient, love is kind, and so forth. You know, uh, you want to, that to be in your life, right? You don't want it just to be part of your doctrinal statement that I believe that and I believe that the Word of God says that. It needs to be part of my life. I need to, be, I need to become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ to become more like Him. And when those things are lacking, actually in your life, He that lacketh these things, this is what, is what could happen. It says, He that abounds in thee, if these things are in you and abound, they make it that you won't be barren or unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord. So this keeps us from it. We've been looking at the, the negative side of it, basically. But the positive side is that we're to 
uh, these things are to be manifest in our lives. And let's look at verse 10. It says, Wherefore the rather... He talks about the person that forgot and, and was tempted probably to go back into those old sins. Wherefore the rather, instead of that, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. I don't believe this is Calvinism. I think it's the election in Christ. I think, it, I think it's for those whoever's in Christ, God has ordained, foreordained, elected, chosen, selected. That's what the word means. Okay, certain things for your life in Christ. We talk about it often. The day that you came to Jesus, to you it was just, wow, things led me to the Lord. The Lord knew all along that day was coming. You still had the choice, okay? And He knew when you did come, He had in our life ordained for you and for each of us in Christ. And the bulk of it is going to be that each of us is, or, uh, is called or ordained to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's for every single believer. That's why a believer in Albania right now, or a believer today here in the U.S., or one of us, or in China, or a believer a thousand years ago, or ten years from now, all of us are on that same path. It's not different. The specifics of the life and, and what they're going to go through in their life and how God's going to do that and their, their uh, you know, ministries and so forth, that's all different. But this calling an election, I don't believe at all, is speaking of uh, Calvinism type of theology. Okay, it's simply saying, uh, give diligence, rather, brethren, to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you should never fall. Okay, and so uh, give diligence. Diligence. It means uh, if you do. You're never going to fall. That means to err, to sin, to offend, to fail, to stumble. That's what the word fall means. Have you ever heard, and I think we talked about it recently uh, in, in one of the messages, you know, you'll, you'll see an attitude among believers. I, I see it typically more in like the younger, like the teenage, in middle school, teenage, college maybe, that they'll, always, they'll have these questions, can I... All their friends are going to this dance. Or all their friends are going to this event. And they're a Christian. And they say, can, I, can I go to that? Can I go to that and not lose my salvation kind of thing? That's really what it's coming down to. Can I do that and not go to hell one day? And I think, and I've said it before, I think the question is wrong. The question is, Pray, you know, what would God have me to do? What, what, what life has He called me to? And how is it different from that? And how does this bring shame to Him? I remember Charles Stanley, this was years and years ago. His son had asked him, Dad, can I go to the, go to the prom? I know there'll be drinking and there'll be secular music. All this stuff will be going on. Can I go to the prom and I just won't drink? He said, well, you think you can put on a, like a white tuxedo, go down in a coal mine and not come out with soot and, and you know marks all over you? You're going to have it. It's just a little simple analogy. But, but the point is that um, people, I think it's the wrong question. Can I do this and not lose my salvation? And I think that the answer is this. I know this much. If you do these things that the Bible says, you'll never fall. So why don't we just stick with that? If, if these things be in you and you give diligence to basically make it manifest that you belong to God, 
that you're actually manifesting brotherly kindness and patience and godliness, and that's actually coming forth. And I'm giving diligence in prayer. That's how we have to give diligence to it. Okay? Give diligence that these things be in you and abounding. If that's in me and abounding, then he says if these things are in you and abound, and it's manifest, then this is one assurance that you'll never fall. So don't say, can I do this and still make it to heaven? If I do this, will I go to hell? How about this? Why don't we just do what the Bible says and we know we'll never stumble. We'll never sin, we'll never fall, we'll never err, we'll never err or fail or offend. That's what that means. And so uh, I believe that that is uh, obviously what the Lord's called us to. He's called us to that type of life. Again, this is not an election uh, to salvation, but we can confirm that calling and election, as one author uh, put it that I was reading, by growing in likeness to the Lord, by manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, we can pro provide unmistakable evidence. And I think that's more what he's talking about here. Unmistakable evidence that we truly belong to Him. A holy life proves the reality of our salvation. And just let it sink in for a second. A holy life. Instead of arguing, am I saved, am I not saved, trying to prove to somebody else I'm saved or not saved, uh, a holy life just silences all those arguments. When they brought Peter and John uh, before the council, and we, we've mentioned this all the time, and it says that they knew that they were ignorant and unlearned men. They didn't know them. They didn't really know Peter and John. They'd heard them preaching and they were... Wanted them to stop preaching in Jesus' name because all the people were following them instead of the Pharisees. Okay? And, uh, but they said that they, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. That's all they needed to know about them. You've been with Jesus. Okay? So they can argue till they're blue in their face. They can go over all, you know, uh, whatever they want to argue about. And it's also like the, the see, it says seeing the lame man with them. Remember they healed the lame man at the temple? Okay. And then five, they preached and 5,000 people got saved. That's what got the, the council very angry. So they brought him in. But it says seeing the lame man healed, they said they could say nothing. The holy life that we live and the miracles that God can perform and do through our lives, you can argue till you're blue in the face, but I'm saved. My life is evident of that. Stephen getting stoned and saying as he's getting stoned and the rocks are hitting him, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. That's unnatural. That's otherworldly. That's proof. The lame man who they passed every day is now healed and can walk and is praising God. And Peter and John are testifying Christ healed him. The one you put on the cross not too long ago. He's rose from the dead and he's the one that healed them. They can argue all day long, throw more stones if they want to. But the holy life and the power of God silences the rest of it. So we ought to give diligence, the Bible says, to make the calling and election sure, to, to, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to have these godly characteristics and traits in our lives, to be spiritually developed and mature that it's evident. Living a holy life will keep us from stumbling. Okay? And so, uh, in the last Scripture here, in verse 11, it says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly. 
into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's this, the question here is not, uh, the question is not the, the fact, I guess you would say, of our entry into heaven. In other words, everybody speaking to her here is a Christian. And Peter is not saying, do these things so hopefully you'll make it to heaven. Is that what he's saying? That's not what he's teaching here. The question is not the fact of our entry into heaven, into the kingdom of God. The question is the manner of our entry into heaven. And there's a way that we can go into heaven. There's a way we can go in and enter in with a full reward. There's a way that we can go in like Paul said that he fought the good fight of faith and finished his course. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of life uh, which, which I'm going to receive which the Lord has promised me and not to me only but all those that love His appearing. And so there's a manner. It's not the question are you going to make it to heaven if all these things aren't abundant in your life. The blood of Jesus settles that. Faith in Christ settled that once and for all. We're not debating that. We're not trying to add works to be that, to, part of, to be part of that, okay? But there's still a lot beyond that. How do you want to enter into heaven? Doesn't the Bible say in 1 John that we don't want to be ashamed at His coming? So guess what? He's talking to believers. A lost person's not going to be ashamed at His coming. They're just going to be lost at His coming. A saved man could be ashamed at His coming. What if I was in the middle of, uh, of, of some, something that's not honoring to God at the time He comes back? What if I'd have been in the, in the middle of something for the last few months of my life? For the last couple of years, I kind of slacked off and, and I drifted from the Lord. I'm still born again. So the rapture comes, or I die and go see the Lord, I'm going to heaven. Because the blood of Jesus has taken care of that. That is settled. But I don't want to be ashamed at his coming. It says, so for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. How? Abundantly. It's almost like this grand welcoming home. I think it's going to be wonderful for every believer. Don't get me wrong. I don't think any of us will be miserable in heaven. But it is interesting to know that the tears, when he says he'll wipe away all of our tears in heaven, that comes at the end of the millennium. That's after the thousand year reign of Christ. And so I think there will be tears shed in heaven. And it won't be, uh, I don't think it will be this despair in the sense of like we're lost because we'll be with the Lord and there's a joy. But I do think there will be regrets. And Lord, you saved me when I was 15, you know, and for 20 years, I didn't do diddly squat for you. You know, I didn't do anything or you blessed me so wonderfully. And I remember very clearly you called me to do such and such and that for my life. And I chose another path and I was fighting against the Lord, you know, maybe for a good part of your life or something like that. It's, it, and we'll, we'll be regretting that. And yet it'll be wonderful to be in heaven. But this entrance that's going to be open for us, it says if these things abound in you and this manifest reality of Christ in our lives where it's a no-brainer. I've said it before too. When I was at LSU, if, if somebody had looked at me and Joe and all the guys next to me in the fraternity or whatever, they would not have picked me out of the crowd as being a Christian. 
They wouldn't have. The, the, the life of Christ was not manifest. The Bible says we don't take our candle and hide it under a bushel. Well, that's what I was doing. You don't do that. But I did do that. Okay? I didn't keep doing that. The Lord brought me out of that. But that's exactly what I was doing. There was no evidence. I had the inner witness of the Holy Ghost that was there. And I had the conviction of the Holy Spirit continually. I didn't go away. In fact, it got more intense as I went through my years at LSU. More and more intense. But, it, but the outer manifestations of these fruits of the Spirit and these godly traits and characteristics were not in my life. And so God wants that to be manifest. And He wants it to be apparent to us and to others. It says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, it's not just, again, it's not just getting to heaven, but it's, as we begin to grow in the Lord, we realize it's that, right? We realize it's not just getting to heaven. That was settled when I said I do to Jesus. That was settled the day I was born again. And that's forever settled. What's not settled is how, how I'm going to live this life for Jesus here. And how it's going to honor the Lord and glorify the Lord. And how He can live through me and in me and show Himself to other people that don't know Him. Show Himself to other people that do know Him that need encouragement. That's the real... That's when we're starting to grow up a little bit and kind of take ownership. I've heard it put that way. You begin to take ownership of your faith. You begin to say, now wait a minute, this Bible I'm reading, it's for me. It's not food for thought. It's not what the preachers preach. The Bible is for me. And I need to see where I am in it, like James says, and be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only deceiving myself. And to start rolling our sleeves up and get the bull by the horn, so to speak, and say, I need to get after it. I need to hit my knees in prayer. I need a good Christian friend who will tell me the truth and show me where I'm lacking and hold me accountable. That's what a church does, okay? And, and that's where we start to grow up. And that's where we start making some progress in the Lord. It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all by the grace of God. I understand that. But it is, uh, it is a progress and a moving on. And so... Um, not only here is, is, is there safety and constant spiritual progress, there's also the promise of a richly provided entrance. So it's not only safety there spiritually, they were not falling back, but it's, it's opening up a door for us not to get into heaven, the blood of Jesus has done that, but to have this wonderful entrance into heaven that God has for us. Amen? There will be degrees of rewards in heaven. You know that? We've studied that um, at the, jud the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers. There's different degrees. There's rewards. There are people that are going to be saved, yet so is by fire. And everything they did that wasn't from a pure heart as a believer is going to be burned up and they're going to go in just empty-handed, empty pockets, nothing at all. They won't have any crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus. Just bare, they're just there. Nothing to give the Lord. And yet He saved them because they put their faith in Him. And it was, it was genuine. And they're saved by the skin of their teeth. They're saved yet so is by fire. And they're in. And there will be others in different degrees that have rewards and things like that from, from their walk with the Lord. And uh, we want to enter in with the full reward, y'all. We want to enter in 
and have those crowns, the crowns that He gives us. And we read in the Bible that we see these, these elders casting their crowns back at the feet of Jesus, saying, you're worthy. You're worthy, Lord. It's You. Yeah, You did it through my life, but it was really You doing it through me. You made me that. I was no good sinner. And You saved me and You filled me with the Holy Ghost. And You begin to fashion and form me. You're the potter and I'm the clay. And You made that out of my life. And I'm so thankful for it. And we'll have crowns. And we'll rejoice. And we'll give them back to Jesus. And He's going to rejoice. And it's going to be wonderful. And so, there are different degrees that we have. And I just thought this was interesting. I'm going to close with this, this thought. And when it says here in verse 11, um, this entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Two, two of the commentaries I was reading both made the same point that it's one thing to go into heaven. The Bible says that angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents and gives their life to Christ. Every believer is going to heaven. Okay? But it's another thing to be part of His eternal kingdom. And that's what He's talking about here. In the sense that maybe you'll have a position, um, some place of position or, or authority in the kingdom of God. And I don't want to focus too much on it, but you know the Bible does say that, that uh, we're going to reign and rule with Christ. There are going to be positions of authority within the kingdom of God where He administers those out to people that are saved and people that know Him and knew Him and walked with Him on this earth. And so every believer is going to heaven. But there again, there, there's a difference in that and maybe really being useful in His kingdom. And it just was an interesting thought, I thought. But I just want to close with that, y'all, because uh, if one thing that's really standing out to me so far in this study in Second Peter it is the fact that that uh, the abundance. Him talking about things being abundant, him uh, increasing. Remember the word knowledge, increasing in our knowledge of the Lord, grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how this epistle ends. We haven't got there yet uh, in chapter three, but uh, we're to grow in that. We're to grow in the Lord, and we've got to keep making that progress, y'all. That's why I say that's why we're here tonight. That's why we're here on a Wednesday night when we come back Sunday morning for Sunday school. It's because we need the Lord. We need to grow and keep moving on in Jesus. And there's so many wonderful things. And you know, when we fail and when we lack, the, the answer is not to run here and there and find another book. It's we just hit our knees in prayer and just begin, begin to call upon the Lord. I don't know who's doing the altar tonight, but uh, we're, we're going to just close with that and, uh, and begin to call upon the Lord. Maybe... Maybe God would have you to, to get somebody by the hand tonight and, and begin to pray with them and say, would you pray with me about this? And maybe you want another believer to just come in agreement with something in your life. Maybe that's lacking. Maybe something that's God's showing you that uh, by His Spirit, that's not measuring up. Read through verses while we're praying. Read through uh, verses 5-7 through seven and look at those different graces and see maybe what's lacking in your life. Ask the Lord to show you and, and ask God to work that in your life. The Bible says it's God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Amen?